Well, good morning. I wanted, uh, it was a few weeks ago that I was uh, playing chess with my grandson, uh, who's nine years old, and it, it uh, surprised me that he had been learning how to play chess, and he asked me if I would play with him. And so I was there for a while, and we were going back and forth, and I was impressed uh, where he was moving things, and after a while, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And I, I said, River, what are you trying to do? And he said, I'm trying to distract you, Papa. <laughs> he was doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, even hand motions and, you know, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to distract you, Papa. And with that, I said, well, I'm trying to win as I lifted my fingers off the last piece and said, checkmate. <laughs> Distractions. I, I grew up fascinated with magic. Uh, I bought these little things to, from the stores to, to do magic tricks. And the art of magic is distraction. The magicians that are the most popular are experts at distraction. And you think with all that you can do and your own uh, power to not be distracted, they're good at it. They can make you look where they want you to look as they do their, their tricks, their sleight of hand tricks. This isn't just in magic, but I was reading about even with police officers, uh, one particular place here, the police officer account recounted, he said, this band of thieves, they enter the store as a group. One or two separate themselves from the group and the others start a loud commotion in another section of the store. This grabs the attention of all the clerks and the customers. As all eyes are turned to the disturbance, the accomplices fill their pockets with merchandise and cash and leave before anyone suspects what's happening. Sometimes aren't caught at all. Even back years ago in the former Soviet Union, I found this story of this one particular, um, it was a factory, a timber works in Leningrad, and the guard who knew the workers in the factory very well was watching them as they were leaving the factory and there was a lot of theft going on. And so this guard looks at this one guy coming out with a wheelbarrow with a great bulky sack with a suspicious-looking object inside in it. And so the guard said, All right, Petrovich, what have you got there? Oh, just sawdust and shavings, Petrovich replied. Come on, the guard said. I wasn't born yesterday. Tip it out. And out came nothing but sawdust and shavings. And so he was allowed to put it all back in and go home. When the same thing happened every night of that week, the guard became frustrated. Finally, his curiosity overcame him, 
And he said, Petrovich, I know you. Tell me what you're smuggling out of here. Wheelbarrows, my friend. (laughs) Screw tape letters. Some of you have read that, C.S. Lewis's uh, fiction, novel, but yet talking about a spiritual battle, a war. And if you remember Uncle Screwtape writing to his nephew Wormwood, another, a demon, and they're after this new believer, trying to distract the new believer away from a devotion to Christ. And one comment that Uncle Screwtape, this fictional demon here, talking to his nephew Wormwood, said this, But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder, he said, is no better than cards, if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Well, the leadership here did not say, could you speak on this? We've got a problem with people being distracted in various ways in their devotion to Christ. They didn't have to tell me anything. This is a common everyday experience. It's com- I've, I've experienced it. I, I continue to experience it. Some of you are experiencing it right now. You're trying to think through what are we going to have for lunch. Maybe you're looking at your cell phone. Maybe you're thinking about what sport program you may watch today or if the Masters, what's going to happen over there. Uh, it's an ongoing, everyday battle. Distractions to our devotion. And this morning, I want us to take a look at a couple of passages that will help expose some of the ways in which we're distracted, easily distracted, I should say, and how we can increase more in our devotion to Jesus Christ. And I want to take you, first of all, to one passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we typically don't find the Apostle Paul fearful. But here he says, I'm afraid. And this was a a church near and dear to him. It was one, as I often say, drove him to his knees and kept him there. uh, The church at Corinth. And he writes this in verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I would venture to say... I don't know all of the devices of the evil one, but this is going to be the main one. This is the one he goes after God's people, 
like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Getting our devotion, our, our attention away from the head of the church. Get them all the members, as we heard this morning, the body of Christ, to, to be thinking elsewhere rather than looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is an ongoing, everyday, almost moment by moment, temptation or test. And here, in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan is a skilled master at doing this. And he takes us back, or Paul does, uh, the Spirit of God through Paul, of Satan's attempt and success, even all the way back to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. It's been going on in the Old Testament. It's been going on in the New Testament. It's going on in the present. And so we, I'd like this morning to, first of all, take a look at this common temptation for all of God's people to be distracted from devotion. So first point is it's just a common temptation. All the way back to Eve, but I want to think here about the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're told, uh, uh, as Moses is writing here to the nation, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. I mean, that's true wholehearted devotion. And these words, he says, that I command you today shall be on your heart. A few chapters later, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, we read this, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Forgetfulness. That's what distraction will do. It takes our attention away from the Lord Jesus and we begin to forget. And he starts off here, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Beware, lest you forget Or uh, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly want you today, warn you today, that you will surely perish. God blessed Israel in so many ways. God warned Israel numerous times. And yet on... And on and on, we read of Israel being distracted from their devotion to Yahweh. Over and over again. So much so, that eight to nine hundred years later, we find ourselves in Jeremiah. Uh, I want you to turn to Jeremiah, and I'm not going to go where your pastor's going to be going, uh, or has been going to that point. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah chapter 2 this morning. The two passages I want us to take a look at, Israel once was truly devoted to the Lord, and this has to grieve 
had to grieve him mightily. But Jeremiah chapter 2, and if you look at verse 1, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. Now, a lot of you are married, maybe not newly married, and just reminiscing about what it was like in those days up to the marriage, soon after the marriage, of that, that devotion. You just couldn't stand to be away from each other. Uh, you didn't want to say goodnight and leave before you were married. You, you just want to do everything together. And amazing how sometimes just a few years go by and you lose that devotion that was once there. Married couples understand that. And that's the analogy the Lord uses here. I remember your devotion as a youth, your love as a bride. When God was so uh, loving to Israel and, and Israel was devoted to him, in the early days, but in time passes here, numerous years, and we come down to verse 12, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12, where the Lord calls all of the heavens to come and witness this unbelievable event. You're not going to believe this. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two charges that the Lord makes against Israel. But I noticed even as I was reading through the first few chapters here, even in this these charges to Israel. He still calls them to repent in the early chapters. He still has mercy. He still shows grace. He talks about the coming Messiah. And he also talks and prophesies through Jeremiah about the future glory of the nation of Israel. But back to these two charges. The first one is forsaking. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. This is an act of the will. It's turning one's face away from. Now I'm this is one of the skills of the evil one is to try to get our attention away from a pure, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And even back here, the getting their attention to forsake the fountain of living waters and start looking at, in the context here, two other nations to go to for help, Egypt and Assyria. But even elsewhere, it's all about idolatry. They're looking at other idols, dead idols, and forsaking the true and living God. There's an act of turning that's going on. And who they are forsaking is the living God. Specifically, 
It's Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You don't need to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the, spiritual, the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And so they were going to Yahweh, to the Lord, but now they were looking elsewhere. Their focus, their attention was going elsewhere. But Christ was the living waters, the fountain of living waters. And it's not just a fountain, it's the fountain of living waters. Dr. Stephen Charnock, in his book on the existence and attributes of God, he writes this, Nothing can add to him or make him better than he is. Nothing can detract from him to make him worse. Nothing can be added to him, nothing can be severed from him, no created good can render him more excellent, nor evil from any creature can render him less excellent. In Psalm 36, the psalmist said, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Even in the Gospels, in John 4, Jesus said, Whoever is drinking of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. Christ is the fountain who always pleases the soul That's drinking from him. If we turn away from him, and I don't mean in a way that's permanent. I just mean when we get our attention distracted from him, then we lose the benefits and the blessings that come from that communion with our Lord and Savior. Psalm 119, the psalmist who possibly could have been Daniel, writes, seven times a day I praise you for all your righteous rules. Earlier he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And I'm just going to bring out to you as uh, many brothers and sisters here, that one little sip of drink in the morning is not going to be sufficient for all day work and ministry. One little sip in the morning is not going to be sufficient. Not when you read about constant reading and meditation on the Word of God, bringing it back to our minds throughout the day. It's so, so important that we don't look at God's Word as some vitamin C capsule that's time released and one little proverb five minutes is going to take us through the day it's time in the word and then serious meditation on it as the psalmist says throughout the day where our thoughts are continually going to our savior and lord 
the rock in which we should be drinking as well. Why would we ever look elsewhere to trust in someone else to find satisfaction, but our hearts are prone to wander? Now, when we turn away from intentionally pursuing him throughout the day, we will be looking elsewhere for substitute drinking facilities. That's what we find here in verse 13. They were forsaking the fountain of living water, and so it's forsaking, and it leads to constructing, or rejection leads to construction. The second charge is now you're constructing useless broken cisterns that hold no water. Augustine said, you cease to worship God, you don't worship anything, you will, uh, instead of worship, well, it says, says, cease to worship God, and you don't worship nothing, but instead you worship anything. And I just, I think about all the possible distractions that can take place on any given day, and how Satan would like to use any of them to lure our attention away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Gordon Fee, in his commentary, writes, Too often for us, it is is to live as Christ plus other pursuits. Work, leisure, accumulating wealth, relationships, and etc., He goes on to say, and if the truth were known, all too often the plus factor has become our primary passion. Some of you have read Alan Chappell's book on true devotion where he talks about the two laws of theological mathematics. And he says the first law, that's whatever you add to the Lord or to Scripture, you subtract. His second law is whatever you add is what really counts for you. And so when we are intentionally drinking or pursuing Christ on a daily basis throughout the day, we will be going elsewhere. And he says here to the nation of Israel, you're, you're looking to broken cisterns. And the immediate context, as I mentioned, was Egypt and Assyria, uh, up in verse uh, 18. Dependency. They were looking to be depending on these countries rather than on the Lord. But elsewhere, cisterns are referring to idolatry worship. Most of you know Israel only receives rain typically in the winter. And so often there are droughts. Wells and fountains are the best place to drink from. But man would then, they would work and carve out these cisterns, coat them with lime plaster to catch runoff water. But often that plaster would crack and break and the water would leak out. Cisterns in the Old Testament were often used, not totally, but often used as symbolic as something not so good. Here, drinking from broken cisterns that hold no water. Or in Proverbs about looking at uh, outside marriage at other 
adulterous relationships. Now this happened throughout the Old Testament of constant distractions away from their devotion to Christ. It happens in the New Testament too. You don't even get through the Gospels until you're seeing people distracted. Whether it was the disciples, they were distracted on what they're going to eat, drink, and wear when the Lord's trying to teach them about himself and about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see Martha distracted when they're gathered together and Christ is teaching uh, in their home. Mary's sitting there, Martha's busy. And the Lord says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing's needful. Martha should have realized that Jesus can make food. He could make food enough for thousands. She had already witnessed him to turn water into wine, but distracted, even with hospitality. The people were distracted from following Christ to just coming after him for food or miracles of healing. I read earlier from the church at Corinth, They were being distracted by false teachers in the immediate context there. They were teaching about a different Jesus. There are a lot of different Jesuses out there with a small J. Or different spirits or different gospels. Apparently this one that they were teaching was uh, following God plus or putting faith and trust in Christ but plus works. At least it seems to be the context there. Different Gospels, different Jesuses. And then the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, and you're patient with these false teachers. You need to be patient, but not with false teaching. And we just see numerous illustrations of growing dull, of being distracted with drifting in Hebrews 2 verse 1. We can become discontent when we look around what other people have. It happened to the psalmist Asap in Psalm 73, and he looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and he goes, I think I'm going to go that way. Uh, I'm trying to follow God, and I'm being afflicted every morning. They seem like they're getting everything and distracted away from the Lord. He said, my feet almost slipped until he went into the temple. And got clarity. And then he says, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's no one on earth I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart, my portion forever. It's a common temptation to us. A very, very common temptation. Another place that we're going to be turning to is the book of Revelation chapter 2. And this is the Christ-given correction to distractions. Revelation chapter 2 is the Christ-given correction. The church at Ephesus was known by its love early on. When Paul was there and he ministered there for three years. And Ephesians chapter 6, 
uh, verse 24. It says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. There was love there. But then you, you had Paul as the pastor. Then he sent Timothy to pastor. Later on, the apostle John pastored the church at Ephesus. And then his pupil Polycarp. Not, not shabby when it comes to pastors. And yet, 30 years later, Revelation chapter 2, and this is Christ speaking. This is a Christ-given correction. Verse 2, the Lord Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up with my namesake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. We see distraction in the Old Testament, away from a devotion to Christ. We see the distraction in the New Testament, whether it's to individuals, whether it's to churches. But we face distraction from devotion even today in the present. I kind of want to get into your life and sort of into your kitchen here for a second it can happen through things that aren't always necessarily bad in and of themselves. It it can be good things. But you want them too much. It gains too much of your attention and devotion. I think of difficulties that some of you are facing. God brings these. He, He ordains these in our lives to increase our devotion to increase our knowledge and love for the Lord. The purpose of these is to grow our love for Him and our love for others. But difficulties with health, and you may not even realize it, that all you talk about is your health. What fills your heart comes out your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and What needs attention, health, can become a devotion to health. Or a loss of friends or family members. And you're grieving, but you're overwhelmed with grief. And instead of it taking you to the Lord, who is the comforter, the sympathetic high priest, we get all focused in the temporal Or maybe it's financial difficulties. And that has your attention and devotion. It's all about trying to pay bills and and how much uh, can you make so that life might be a little easier. Or maybe there's unresolved conflict and it's just consuming you rather than taking the appropriate measures, keeping your eyes fixed on Christ. So it may be difficulties. It may be certain pursuits in your life. 
education. And again, these aren't bad in and of themselves. I'm involved in it, education. But you can almost, when you're around people, you can tell very quickly, where are they devoted? So much so that even you can get devoted to your family and that can become a distraction away from devotion to Christ. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 25 to 35. If you're going to follow me, he said, you're going to have to hate your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Those, all those people right there, we're supposed to love. I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Well, that's pretty, I'm not even going to attend to that. I am not the exemplary husband. It, it is such a, a, a far off uh, attempt to be, to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And Jesus says in Luke 14, I have to be devoted and love him so much it looks like I hate my wife who I should love like Christ loves the church. Do you understand that kind of devotion? And yet we can get distracted and we look elsewhere and our eyes are not fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. It might be, again, whether it's family, it could be entertainment. And boy, that can take hours of time. Even the area of social media. I was looking at just some statistics where teenagers, and the average, national average, is nine plus hours a day on social media. Not necessarily bad in and of itself. A lot of these things. But it can distract us. And Satan is a master at this. He's had thousands of years of experience with a lot of successes. Maybe it's your job advancement. Maybe it's fitness. And you're just focused on the outer man. And you're missing the inner man devotion. Bodily discipline profits little. It profits, but it profits little. Compared to the spiritual devotion and exercise of the soul. Well, the correction here in Revelation chapter 2, and most of you have heard this before, you know this passage, it's fairly simple. And here's the Lord, I mean, he's with his people, whether it was uh, Israel or the church, and, and he's compassionate, he understands our frame, he knows we're but dust, he knows we're prone to wander. And here he is talking to a church he dearly loved, the church at Ephesus. And he acknowledged the good things that they're doing. And he just says this one thing, you've left your first love. When our devotion turns from the Lord after other things, it also turns away from loving people well. You can't love people well if you don't love Christ well. 
There's no love of people in the commendations here of the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. They're connected. If I'm loving the Lord well, I'll love my wife well in a proper way. I'll love other people well. And the same could be said, if I'm not loving people well, I'm not loving the Lord well either. If I'm not living with my wife in an understanding way, my prayers are hindered. But the way back is rather simple. First, he says, you must remember. Remember the former days. Remember where you fell from. That first devotion. Go back and what was it like to be saved? Some of you may be newly saved. God has just saved you by his grace and you're so excited. Remember back, everyone who's a believer, remember back to those days. Uh, A friend of mine, a close friend of mine in ministry has uh, some children who are unsaved as well and we've been praying for uh, each other's children and he texted me the other day and he said, Stuart, I think the Lord has saved my son. And I start reading the text as they are coming in. And let me just, and I'm quoting here the text of that new devotion of his son to the Lord. My friend says about his son, my son is saying he is saved. There are radical changes in his life. There's a hunger for God's word and God's people. My son recently said, quote, Oh, I'm talking about it to anyone who will listen. I never knew you could have such peace and such joy as I've given everything over to God. And I'm willing to do whatever he wants with me, unquote. My friend said he asked me to baptize him this month. He's come by our house two to three times. He's in his late 20s. He's come by my house two or three times this week. And we, his mother and I, cannot believe what we hear coming out of his mouth. He says, quote, God did it. He has to save. He has stopped having sex with his girlfriend And he texted me just yesterday, he said, and said, how do I start giving to the church? Maybe I should say that a little louder. (laughs) That new devotion, excited about the Lord, excited about telling people about Christ, excited about being in his word, excited about praying and talking to him in prayer, that new devotion, remember back. Secondly, it says repent, turn, do a 180. And the linguistic key to the New Testament, Mounts writes, repent here carries with it to bear in mind the loving relationships you once enjoyed and make a clean break with your present manner of life. Take some steps to go in the right direction. Maybe it's been in time and you've just drifted. You just slowly drifted and got distracted. It's not too late. 
And God in His grace and mercy wants us to confess our sin and come back, as it were, to drink from the fountain of living waters. And so we're to return. Remember back, repent, and start doing. Return and do the first works. What are the first works? You know those very well. You could stand up here and speak. It's getting into God's Word. This is God speaking to us. This is our food, our drink every day. Not just reading, but reading to understand and reading to apply. Meditating on the Scriptures Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Maybe that's, uh, you've been distracted from that. Something I've had to do is not keep my phone near me. I'm out in California now. And people on the East Coast are already trying to send emails or texts. And it, it's just hard. I'm trying to read or study in the, my devotional time and the phone goes, I've just had to move it away. You, you have to take measures. God will not obey for you. You have to take steps to not be distracted from devotion to Him. And prayer is another main uh, fundamentals of growing in our relationship with Him. Fellowship with God's people. Telling others about Christ. These are the first works. And I'm just, I'll just be you know, transparent with you. To make the turn back. Let's just assume that some of us in here may be distracted. And have been distracted. It will be inconvenient to go back. It's just inconvenient. We've gotten into habits. It may be costly to go back. It may even be embarrassing. You may have to stop hanging with friends that don't help you in your devotion to the Lord. You may even receive opposition. But we need to take the steps to remember back and return This message may be for the person sitting next to you, but it might be for you as well. We all need constant reminders of this. It happened in the Old Testament, happened in the New Testament. They're the best of people. To David, to Solomon, they all got distracted from time to time. The Lord in His mercy and grace and His good providence the bringing the rain to possibly distract this morning. But God in His grace helps us to listen with ears to hear. But God in His good providence has also brought us to this time, this week. This is called Passion Week. It's all about Jesus. It's about His triumphal entry 
It's about all of the events. A, a third of the Gospels is all about this week of what happened in Christ's life. It's about his great love for us, his redeeming love, his work on the cross, his patient love with the disciples, the resurrection. So God in his good providence is helping us this week to turn back if you've been distracted, back to the first works of that devotion to him. And I would just like us to take a moment, if you'll bow with me in prayer. I know the temptation to be distracted even now. But we're told, even in Hebrews, to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And to run that race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the model of full devotion for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe you need to just take this silent moment here and think through the answers to these questions. Have you been distracted from your devotion to Christ? If so, how? In what way have you been? And are you willing to repent and return? And what is one step that you can take this week to return to that full devotion? What is one step that you can take to return to that devotion to our Lord and Savior? Lord, may you bless your word this morning. May it bear forth fruit in all of our lives, including mine. That this week, the end of this week, we would look back and be able to say, I've not been as distracted as I have been. Or I've taken some steps by your grace to remember, to return, repent and return. And I'm blessed in the more full devotion to Jesus, the head of the church, and whose name we pray. Amen.